Hey listener, you know one of the things I feel we all take for granted is arts and culture. If you live in a city, big or small, there are always lots of opportunities around. Museums, movies, the theater, many with always shifting productions and exhibits that expose us to the wonders of the world. And unfortunately, these were the first things to close down and become unavailable to us when the pandemic hit. Being indoors with hundreds if not thousands of people right now is probably not the best thing we can do for ourselves. And the impact on those who make their living as actors or writers, dancers, singers, musicians, painters, and the behind the scenes skilled trades like gaffers and electricians, set decorators and stage managers has been absolutely devastating. So give a thought and maybe a donation to your favorite community theater company or local museum and help make sure that they're still there when we come out on the other side of this thing. See. Arts and culture are our relief valves, but for them, it's their livelihoods. My guest today is Lisa Diana Shapiro. She's a playwright and actor living in New York City. She's a graduate of Northwestern University's theater program, and her most recent production, Samantha Spade, Ace Detective, was produced by the Tada Youth Theater Program in New York City, where she's currently writing a new full-length family musical. By day, Lisa works as a teaching artist throughout the five boroughs, bringing theater classes to some of the most underserved schools in the area. She's lead teaching artist for Leap on Stage, a playwriting and production program run by the arts organization Leap. In non-pandemic times, she works summers teaching theater for artists striving to end poverty in the Refugee Youth Summer Academy run by the International Rescue Committee and in New York City's Summer School MLL program administered by the Arts Council. Hi, Lisa. Thanks for joining the podcast today. Hi, Jeff. So how are you doing? How's life in New York? Um, you know, it's crazy. Um, New York and County in New Jersey, where I live, were the original epicenters. They were the early epicenters of the pandemic, but now uh, they've pretty much got it under control. So it's, you know, it's day to day. You just never know. It seems like you guys have it in uh, better shape than we do out here in Los Angeles. We're still waiting for LA County to be able to uh back down on some of the restrictions again as the numbers flatten out. But yeah, it's crazy. Uh, California crushed the curve early while New York was uh, just an epicenter. Um, You work in the theater in New York. Uh, Talk a little bit about your background and your experience. I do work in the theater. I am a playwright, lyricist. I'm also a screenwriter, but I'm not doing that at the moment. And I started out as an actor. And uh, for my day job, I work as a teaching artist in the New York City school system, teaching theater. When, when was that moment in your life when you knew you had to be in the theater? I grew up with it. I was yeah. always, always, always going to be an actor when I grew up. Uh, when I was born, I was unexpected, and I was eight and a half years later than my sister. And my sister would, was enrolled in a Saturday morning drama class. So from the time that I was born, my mother would carry me and sit in the back of the Saturday morning drama class. And when I was two years old, uh, as soon as I could talk, they put me on the stage and they gave me a line to say. From then on, I, 
that was it for me. Every Saturday I went to my drama class and I just always knew that I was going to be an actor. I didn't know I was going to end up being a writer also, but uh, that, that came later. So you always knew you were going to be an actor. When did you decide to go professional? Well, I was, I was professional when I was a kid. Whenever, whatever jobs there were, I auditioned for them. And I worked little professional jobs, little commercial jobs here and there in Miami. Um, Miami was a big, Miami Beach was a big um, commercial, had a big commercial market for a while. I don't know if it still does. And there was theater. There was, there was um, non-union professional theater. I was uh, a member of a touring company as a kid that um, toured what they called the condo circuit. And I was in every single show that had kids in it, uh, from The Sound of Music to Gypsy to Fiddler on the Roof. And we would perform in rec rooms. We would perform in high school auditoriums. We would, you know, there would always be the last minute re-choreographing because the ceiling was too low to do the lifts and the dance number and things like this. But um, it was a great, I did this for several years and it was just a great way to cut my teeth. And I got paid. That's awesome. That's really cool. When did when did writing become a passion for you? Well, I after college, I, I, I got a I got a degree in theater from Northwestern, and I moved to California to be an actor. And I ended up working as a legal secretary um, because it was true that you know for one week's worth of work in Los Angeles, I could make as much as I would make in a three month run of a show in Chicago where I had been living after college, uh, that why, you know, I only got that one week every year or every two years, or, you know, I was out of work much more often than I was working. So I decided to write a play for myself to star in. And, uh, I wrote that play and I produced it myself with help from my credit cards and my parents. And, uh, it was financially, it was a disaster, but um, I met uh, a writer. I met an amazing television writer named Vivian Radkoff. I'm going to give her a shout out. Give her a shout out right here. Uh, came to see my play and took me to dinner a week later and said, you should be a writer and I'm going to teach you everything you need to know. And she pretty much mentored me, taught me screenwriting. And I've been writing plays, you know, just for myself forever because, you know, theater. But uh, I really, with Vivian, I really learned structure. I really learned um, things that I had never really studied in a formal way. So that's how I began. And then I discovered that people in Hollywood would answer the phone or call me back if I called them as a writer, whereas they never would if I called them as an actor. I'm actually surprised to hear that they'll call you back as a writer. That's, that's kind of cool. Um, well, when you've been an actor, and I know you know this, Jeff, when you've been an actor, yeah. nobody calls you back. No, 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 nobody. They don't want to bury us if they can avoid it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, there's, to be fair, there is so many of us running around that, especially out here in places like Los Angeles, that um, I can understand a little bit of it. So what were you doing for a living in New York while you were working on uh, being uh, a writer and an actor? Um, well, in New York, uh, since I, since we moved back east, I have been um, teaching. I taught summers all through college. I taught after school right after the first few years after college. I, I, I taught theater. I, I was planning to get my certification in college, and I never did, but I did a lot of teaching. So when I went back to that when I got to New York. In New York, the arts budgets uh, with the Department of Education, the arts budget has been cut down 
so drastically that the schools don't have any arts programs. That very few schools have actual arts classes in their schools. So they have these agencies that send teaching artists on residencies into the public school system. So I work for two, I work for several different agencies that do that. I started out, um, I actually started out on it volunteering when I first got here in 2016, because um, a friend of a friend, uh, her name is Mary Mitchell Campbell, she's a Broadway music director and conductor. She had launched a nonprofit called ASTEP, which is stands for Artists Striving to End Poverty. And they they teach theater, they teach they teach all the arts, but they have an emphasis on working with uh, refugee kids, kids in other countries. They have a program in India that they run every year. And over the summer, they they uh, facilitate the arts portion of a program called Refugee Youth Summer Academy, which is um, administered by the International Rescue Commission Committee. Excuse me, the International Rescue Committee. And I, uh, they put out a call for arts teachers, and uh, I knew uh, I had a connection to Mary Mitchell. I didn't know her personally. I, I had met her once, but I, I, we have a good friend in common, and so I, I pinged her and I said I wanted to volunteer. And then they ended up hiring me to teach filmmaking to refugee kids in middle school and high school who had only just arrived in the U.S. and had almost no English. Oh, okay. So if you were teaching uh, almost English as a second language as well. Right, exactly. Uh, that was the purpose. That was one of the main purposes of the whole program. It's a, it's a high school readiness. It's a, well, it's a, school, a public school readiness program for kids who have never been to a school in the United States. And they don't know things like raise your hand uh, to, if you need to go to the bathroom. And, you know, the, yeah. when, what happens when the bell rings, it, like basic things like that. And then also academic subjects and arts subjects to get them ready to go into the public school system in the fall. Okay. Um, but yeah, they don't, you know, they, they are, you know, part of our job was teaching them English, getting them to speak English, getting them to learn English in other ways than studying English. Sure. And then the pandemic came this year, and that's kind of shut everything down. You're kind of in this place where it was a, a double hit because theater in New York is closed, um, and um, the schools have been impacted as well. How did you respond when the pandemic started and you first started to see what was going on? Well, it was you know pretty emotionally devastating when the shutdown happened. Um, I was, I'm in the middle of a big writing project. I have a show that was commissioned. And so uh, it was supposed to have opened this fall. Yeah. Um, and then we changed it and we said, okay, well, we'll have, we'll have a workshop uh, whenever it was. And then that, you know, I guess the workshop was supposed to have been last spring. And then, the, you know, the workshop was like, that wasn't going to happen. I was like really cranking earlier in the year to get the, get this libretto done for the workshop. And that, you know, that week came and went, I guess it was in May. And that was really devastating. And, you know, as this, this is, for, this is commissioned by a nonprofit theater called Tada Youth Theater in Chelsea. And Tada has been the, uh, the artistic and executive director over there. Janine Nina Trevins has just, you know, dedicated herself to saving her organization and, you know, applied for all the grants and applied for the, the PPP loan and, you know, 
done everything she could to pivot her own organization so that um, it can keep serving the youth of the New York City, the tri-state, the whole tri-state area, all the five boroughs. Uh, and um, so we're, you know, we're still in business. I, you know, we're still working on this show, which now we're planning to have the workshop in January and the show itself will open um, in, you know, in a year, it'll open in the 21 slash 22 season instead of this coming fall when we were, we were hoping to have it open in November. Right. You know? Yeah. Nothing, nothing yet will be open in November, I'm afraid. Well, maybe, maybe we'll be starting to get close. Um, how did your process change when you went remote? Uh, are you taking advantage of video conferencing? Um, are you doing, you know, what kind of uh, services do you use to collaborate? Well, you know, I do collaborate via Skype and Zoom anyway. Um, this this project is um, it, it's it's had a, a an interesting journey. It's had a, a, a meandering journey. Uh, it was. It was originally um, inspired by my first year of work um, at RISA, Refugee Youth Summer Academy, my work with the refugees. And um, it was originally pitched to Tada in 2016 as a kind of uplifting story about refugee kids with uh, all this drive and all this desire to succeed in the U.S., learn English, go to college, um, have these, uh, you know, all, all, all this raw energy that they have and perseverance. And then the election happened and uh, the Muslim ban happened and family separation happened. And, and I'm writing this show about immigrant teenagers. And I was trying to respond to current events as I was writing. And every time things got worse, I found that I needed to somehow address it in my show. But the original commission was for a one hour show that would be suitable for children. So it could only go so far. And at the right. time, my, uh, my collaborating partner was Georgia Stitt, who is an amazing composer. And we wrote a one hour version of this show. And we, uh, we workshopped it a year, a year ago last spring, spring of 2019, uh, with a bunch of teenagers that are uh, members of Tada's resident youth ensemble. And uh, we did this two-week workshop, and the feedback that we got from our actors, our young actors, was crazy intense because they all knew what was going on in the country. They were all completely informed about family separation, about detention centers, about all of these things. They and they just they just held my feet to the fire, and they said, "You can't just mention." X, Y, Z, without going all the way into it. You can't talk about this subject without covering that subject also. And, uh, you know, it was still a one hour show for kids. It could only do what it could do. And the theater amazingly responded to this feedback and they recommissioned the show as a full length show that would be uh, appropriate, not just for kids, but for family audiences. So an older audience and a grown up audience. And they allowed me to really explore the subject. So now the show follows two, two teenagers from Dominican Republic into a detention center. And we learn, you know, we learn about what is really, really happening to kids, uh, to immigrant kids today and kids, undocumented kids who are living here. Uh, and it's, it's very, it's a lot darker and it's a lot rougher and it's a lot more powerful 
But, um, you know, you can't fool kids. They are the most honest audience that you're going to get. And we were ready to deal with it and they wanted the real thing. So that is the show that I am now writing. That's awesome. It's awesome that they're that aware of everything that's going on around them. They're paying attention. And it's awesome that you were able to uh, adapt to that need because they're right. We got to tell the truth of what's going on in the world. And, And the fact that they're that connected to it is great for the world because it means that they will actually carry out the change we need to make the world a better place going forward. Yeah. So what happens next in your process? Do you try to workshop it again? And do you do a workshop remote this time? What does the next six months look like? Um, We are doing another workshop in January. um, And I have a new composing partner on it. Um, So I'm now writing the show with another composer whose name is uh, Julia Jordan Commanda. And she's married to a guy from Sierra Leone, and she spent time traveling around the world. She has a lot of world music in herself, in her abilities. Um, So she's an amazing, amazing, talented person. So we are now working on the full-length version of this show. There will be some kind of workshop in January. If the curve stays low, if we all go back to school in the fall and there are no more spikes... We'll do an in-person workshop at the Tada Theater because it's a small enough cast and it's a large enough space to keep the kids, to keep the, the actors socially distanced. And if we don't feel that it's safe for both the kids and us, we will do it via Zoom. But we will do it one way or the other. Okay. How has the change affected the work itself? And how do you feel about that? Um, well, uh Both of these ladies are amazingly talented. So um, it was George's choice to step down. The new composer, Julia, actually has um, a lot more experience with the different sounds of the different countries of the young people, of the characters in the show. Um, And she also has, I also made an artistic decision um, as I started rewriting, which was that the show needed to sound like today. The show needed to sound like the music that kids are listening to now and less like Broadway. And the original version, not that it sounded, uh, I'm not using Broadway in a pejorative manner um, because George is an amazingly sophisticated composer, but it was a more traditional sounding show and it needs to sound, it needs to have flavors of hip hop in it. It needs to have those, you know, it needs to have a more contemporary air because mm-hmm. that's who it's about. And it's very firmly at this point, and thank you, pandemic, this show is forever dated in 2019. It cannot be, you know, I always knew it was going to be the Trump era. Um, and I hoped that in, you know, in the next administration, we will be able to reunite all those children with their parents, all those babies who were separated from their parents. Who knows how long that will take? I had hoped yeah. you know, that this would all be over by the time the show opened. But as it turns out, because of the pandemic, there will always be a before and after because a show that takes place in 2020, everybody has to be wearing masks, right? Yeah. Yep. This show is dated and it must sound like 2019. <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. I'd never thought of that before, but it's you're right. It, there's There's a distinct dividing line on history and culture now before and after the pandemic. What about uh, the teaching side of things? Um, What are the prospects look like uh, going forward as the, as things are quieting down in New York and and maybe opening up a little bit? 
Uh, how, how do the prospects look? Well, we're preparing for a school year. You know, for my, for my day job, I'm lead teaching artist in a program called Leap on Stage, which is a playwriting and play production program. Basically, I go into schools, I have, I have a residency in a school, and I will spend 10 weeks or 15 weeks teaching students to write 10-minute plays. They, uh, they, will, they submit their plays. Their, their plays get judged by a professional panel from the agency, from LEAP. Uh, one of the plays gets chosen from every school, and then we spend the next 10 or 15 weeks producing that play, doing a full production of it. This, okay. The winning student gets their play published in a book that Samuel French publishes a compilation of these plays. And we do, at the end of the year, we do um, a, a, a two-night festival that features all of the 10-minute plays from all of the schools around the five boroughs. So I was in the midst of that when the pandemic hit. Um, and we, we pivoted towards trying to finish the year virtually. It was very, very difficult. Mm-hmm. So we're now in the midst of planning to do the whole program virtually for next year. Okay, and it's be, you know it's better when you know that that's what yeah. it's going to be. Have you spent a lot of time, or have the heads of the program spent a lot of time thinking out how to do that and creating a, um, a curriculum that works, you know, via Zoom or whatever mechanism you're going to use? Well, that's what I'm working on right now. Actually, um, that was I was. I was very lucky to get a few hours of summer work doing exactly that uh, because it's, I've always, um, I started teaching in the program as a, as a teaching artist three years ago. And then this past year I was promoted to lead on it and I was, you know, and I built the curriculum for it last year. So now my summer has been adapting the curriculum to make it work virtually. And it's, it's going to be very different because although it's a writing residency, although the, the first half of it is, is about writing, we do a lot of improv. We get the yeah. students up on their feet. We get them pantomiming. We get, you know, you demonstrate a lot of concepts by getting them to do a scene on, you know, on the spot. And we don't have that option. It's a lot harder to do that virtually. You can't, yeah. you can talk, but you can't do a lot of physical stuff when you have the kids on Zoom. So I have been, that's exactly what I have been doing is creating new curriculum benchmarks, um, rearranging the structure of the curriculum, figuring out, looking for apps, you know, looking for anything that'll make it fun and less like standing, you know, or just sitting at your computer. I think that on the other side of all of this, we're actually going to be creating more opportunity in in all kinds of different fields. Um, your classes, once they become something that work effectively online, don't have to be limited to New York City anymore, right? You now can have a more expanded audience. I was talking with some friends I have uh, who work at uh, a couple of uh, movie studios uh, in the animation business. And they're, for good or bad for the people who are animators in Los Angeles, they no longer have to hire animators only in Los Angeles. Animators can live anywhere in the country they want now because we figured out how to have them work remotely and, and allow them to be productive. So it opens the talent pool up. It also, in some regards, gives people an opportunity to go live in less expensive places if they want to. And I oh, think yeah. all of that's going to change the way we do everything going forward. I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. And people are already fleeing New York. I just saw an article about how the rental units, the availability of rental units is higher than it's been in, you know, however many years. And 
rents are actually falling for the first time in God knows how many yeah, years. I guess that's good. Uh, you know, I, I know that um, having come from New York, I don't know that I could afford to live there anymore. Um, <laughs> so, well, maybe um, you can. <laughs> yeah, who knows? Um, okay, so what's the thing you are the most looking forward to uh, being able to do again when the world opens up? Go to the theater, see a show oh. on Broadway. Yeah. Oh my God, I miss it like <laughs> a phantom limb. Yeah. You know, um, my daughter, Allison, discovered, really discovered theater about two years ago. She's a, she's a musician and she's been studying uh, music. She's been studying flute and piccolo and she had an opportunity to play in a pit orchestra and it changed her life. So she's Yay. done. Yeah, absolutely. She's done pit orchestra shows several times. Uh, thank you, by the way, for connecting her with the people you connected her with in New York, because uh, she had the opportunity to sit in on a couple of uh, pits um, on Broadway. And, uh, you know, it's it's a year later and she still is always talking about it. And so this was the year of theater for us because we had Hamilton coming through, a bus and truck tour of Hamilton coming through L.A. And Mean Girls was coming through L.A. And there's a production of 1776 starting up at the uh, Performing Arts Center here in L.A. And, and we bought tickets for all of them. Those were the gifts for the year, right? Aww. Every single show, every single show canceled. So I'm with you. I, I can't wait to get back into a theater what can I plug for you? Here's an opportunity. Hopefully there are people that are going to be listening to this. What would you like to talk about? Um, and where can we send people to go see it? Um, wow. Okay. So many things. Um, <laughs> we'll I, put some of them in the notes as well, but whatever you want to talk about, go for it. Well, I'm going to start with Tada Youth Theater, um, which is tadatheater.org. Um, that's T-A-D-A-T-H-E-A-T-E-R. I guess it's .org. Maybe it's .com. Now I'm going to have to fix it for you. You're going to have to fix this in post. I'll, do, don't worry. I'll go find it, and I'll make sure it's in the liner notes as well. Okay. Um, Ta-da Theater. Um, and, you know, please donate and support. Um, they're an amazing organization. They, um, it's educational. It's pre-professional training for young people. It, they have the Resident Youth Ensemble, which is – an entirely free program for um, students from eight to 18 who get to, they get free training, they get free classes, they get uh, opportunities to audition for the season of shows, which is run like a professional season for shows uh, all every year. The shows run for um, several weeks to a month or so to six weeks. They get a full professional style rehearsal period um, they get really unbelievable training. And then in addition, they're, they get fed, they get uh, transportation, um, they get college tours, they get theater trips. Um, it's, uh, it's truly, truly an amazing organization run by my dear friend Janine Nina Trevin. So um, go donate to Tada if you have a few dollars to throw to something. And of course, they are producing my show, Common Ground which you will hopefully be able to see in the 21 slash 22 season. And then I'll be plugging that all over the place. Um, cool. And then if you want to see any of my work, you can go to samanthaspademystery.com, which is the website for the last show that I did for Tada. And um, that show is now licensed by Concord Theatricals. 
and you can do it at your school, at your middle school, at your high school. It is a, uh, a, a film noir detective story musical in black and white. Uh, and it's a lot of fun. You can go to samanthaspademystery.com. You can see video. You can hear demos from the show. Um, you can learn more about me and um, more about that show. Awesome. So I'm great. those are the things I would plug. Cool. Lisa, thanks for your time today. It was really good talking. Thank you so much, Jeff. Thank you.